Judges chapter 3, verse uh, 31. Now, it is a cold winter of 2014. Uh, Gemma is driving on the M25 uh, with her two children. When suddenly, as it so often happens, this doesn't happen to me yet, a car breaks down in an area with no hard shoulder. I think it's Junction 24 or something like that. She immediately rushes to get her frightened children uh, onto the grass verge uh, by the roadside and while cars and trucks are swiveling around her. And she's, of course, very frightened by all of this. Uh, thankfully, uh, an Argos delivery driver somehow uh, sees what's going on with Gemma and her two children and he decides to slow down. I don't know how he does this, but he slows down and he pulls his lorry truck uh, just close enough to protect Gemma's car so that other cars don't you know, run into that car, as it were. The man then gets out and at great risk to himself, and remember this is winter time, uh, it's freezing cold and he comes out wearing only a t-shirt and he gives Gemma a hand with her car and he helps her uh, to repair it as, as well as get her and the children properly to safety until the police arrives. And once the man finishes doing this incredible act of kindness, he then just, of course, goes on his way. Gemma realizes just what has happened, and she realizes in the middle of this chaos, she never really thanked the man properly, and never even got to find out properly who, what his name was. She just was so grateful for what he's done. So she goes to Facebook, and she tries to track him down. And she writes one of those fantastic Facebook posts which gets many likes because everybody's so amazed about what's happened. And she's hoping that somehow this man uh, will show up. Agos, of course, are very excited by this. I mean, they're a truck driver, this is free PR, and they're very excited. So they're very keen to track down themselves, this man, so that they can then put him out there as a, you know, this is where Agos represents. And of course, it's a shock to many of us who have used, who have ordered something from Agos before. Uh, they're not always as good as that man. But anyway, they, they track down, uh, they track down this, uh, this, uh, this man, and they ask him to, you know, make his name available. But the man then says, no. Uh, he says, no, I, I'm not interested in being famous at all. I just want to remain anonymous. I did something good. And I'm sorry, but I can't uh, do more than that. The man is just happy being a nobody. And the story is refreshing. And the newspapers then pick this up because the newspapers are now all of a sudden surprised. We are living in a narcissistic age of selfies and self-focused uh, status updates on Facebook, uh, advertising who we are and the idea of an anonymous hero who's content to be a nobody uh, is very strange indeed. There is something about God's image being reflected in that Argos van driver, a low-income man who is not looking for fame but simply to save others. Now, we are currently just finalizing Judges in this uh, eighth sermon in Judges as we take a break. And we know that Judges is an historical account of God's people as they settle in the land of Canaan. This is happening after the death of Joshua. And we have seen that Judges is not simply an historical account. It's ultimately a story of God's grace being displayed to broken people through broken people. 
Judges is about how God uses weak and obscure people to accomplish his purposes and ultimately point us to the grace found in Jesus and Jesus alone. Now today we are looking at this verse in Judges chapter 3 verse 31 as God uses uh, this obscure person called Shamgar to serve his people. And the lesson of this simple verse in front of us is simply this. God serves us through obscurity. God serves us through obscurity. Now I hope in front of you you've got the outline uh, for this evening. Uh, if you haven't got that, you can just uh, raise your hand and Brother Andrew, I'm sure, is going to spare copies there. So let us look at what lessons uh, we pick up from Judges 3, verse 31. The first headline there in your outlines is that God serves... Uh, yeah, there's one. I think Jessica wants the wants 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 outline there. So um, the first lesson we learn in this is that God serves through obscure people. God serves through obscure people. Judges 3.31 says, After him was Shamgar, the son of Anath, who killed 600 of the Philistines with an ox god, and he also served Israel. Now the author of Judges tells us that the feasted deliverer, his name is Shamgar. So we've had Othaniel, and we had Ayud last week. Now we've got a man called Shamgar. And we're told that Shamgar comes after Ayud because he says, after him. Who is him? Him is Ayud. And we had Ayud versus Eglon last week. And if you missed that sermon, I encourage you to look it up on our website. But notice that Judges chapter 4 verse 1 restarts the story again after Ayud. And then proceeds to tell us that God is also raising Deborah as judge. So Shamgar must be a contemporary of Deborah as well. Because Judges chapter 5 verse 6 to 7 says this. Judges 5 verse 6 to 7 says, In the days of Shamgar, son of Anna, in the days of Jahel, the highways were abandoned and travelers kept to the byways. The villagers ceased in Israel. They ceased to be until I arose. I, Deborah, arose as a mother in Israel. According to Deborah, who I'm very much looking forward to in two months' time for us to look at, according to Deborah, Shamgar is living in a chaotic period of Jahel until Deborah herself emerges as judge. So, so, so Shamgar is a contemporary of Deborah. Deborah may perhaps have even known who Shamgar is in person. But who exactly is Shamgar? Well, we don't really know. And this text does not give us the standard information we find on Othaniel or Ayut. There is no family background here. There is no place of birth. It doesn't even tell us how Shamgar dies. And in fact, as I've said, his name only appears here and in Judges chapter 5, verse 6. But what we do know is that the name Shamgar has plenty of references uh, in non-Israelite culture. So we can be perhaps reasonably confident that Shamgar himself is a Gentile. And the title, the son of Anath, 
Well, he's also obscure, just like the name Shamgar. Anath is actually feminine. So, Shamgar is probably named after his mother. Anath is, of course, the Canaanite goddess of war. So, the question is, is Shamgar born to Canaanite parents? Is Shamgar a Jewish boy with a Canaanite mother and perhaps a Hebrew father? Or perhaps both of his parents are Hebrew, but they're into idolatry, worshipping the goddess of war. The truth is, we do not know. And that is exactly the point of this text. Shanga is a nobody. He is not a celebrity with an amazing background like Othania who rises up as a, as a nephew of Caleb. He's not like that. Shanga is not an Ayud who gets to lead many and, you know, takes down the king of Moab. He's not like that. Shamga is a nobody. He has pleased God to use a nobody who appears from nowhere to save his people and then completely disappear off the stage. Sort of like an international man of mystery. He's in, he's out, he's done the work. That's all you need to know. This man is even possibly an outcast, a gentle, as we've seen. You see, the God of the Bible is a, is a God who delights in using nobodies to achieve great things for his glory. Why? Because he is full of grace. And we see God doing this throughout the Bible. The line of our Messiah, Jesus alone, includes four women who are pure nobodies by background. Tamar, the Canaanite woman who dressed up as a prostitute to seduce her father-in-law, a nobody. Rahab, Jericho's down-and-out prostitute, who was the first Canaanite to receive God's grace, a nobody. Ruth, the foreign widow and social outcast, a nobody. The wife of Uriah, Bathsheba, who was entangled in a sinful affair with King David, a nobody. These four amazing women, though, who are nobodies, are grafted into the line of Jesus Christ. Why? What are these nobodies doing in the line of the Messiah of Israel? Because God delights in using nobodies for his glory. It's therefore even no surprise that when the eternal Son of God, our, our loving friend and master, the Lord Jesus Christ, when he enters this world and raises up disciples, who does he choose? He chooses the Shamgars of this world. Acts chapter 4 verse 13 tells us this. When the, when the, when the, when the, the, the sort of religious leaders, it says this, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Look, maybe you are wondering, can God use me? I have no education. I am old. I am usually unwell. I struggle with sins. I blow hot and cold. I am young. I am a woman in a man's world, you might even say. 
One man recently told me, I can't do much because I am disabled. He said to me, look at me, I'm just in a wheelchair. What can I do for God? Well, everyone has weaknesses. But God is saying, you are exactly what I want with all your obscurity. You are exactly what I'm after. Because if God can use Shamga and nobody, he can use you. So look, write down your excuse. Just write it down and then take that excuse and put it next to Shamga. Compare it to him. Because you see, this evening God has a job for you. And he's more than capable of using you for his glory in his own way. That's the key. In his own way. Your idea of how God uses people may not line up to his. Surrender to him. And he'll use you in his own way. All you must do is to be available to God. But we see Shamga isn't just challenging us as individuals. Shamga is challenging us as a fellowship here. Because you see, if Shamga walked into those doors right now, through those doors, if he walked through there, we may think he's nothing, that he has nothing to offer. As Shamga speaks this strange language, he's, a, he's an outsider, he looks a bit weird, and he doesn't seem to know his Hebrew Bible so well. We might even go around and whisper and say, perhaps it's that Canaanite heritage, perhaps there are too many idols in his home. We might look at him and think it doesn't fit the bill. He's not eaten educated enough, he hasn't been to college, or he, he, this, is a, this doesn't fit how we think. But you see, just as A.U. challenges us not to look at our weakness. This is so amazing. I'm still living into the A.U. You know, I'm still last week because I'm so challenged by A.U.'s disability and how God uses him to achieve great things. In the same way God uses, of course, John Erickson Tada and others in history that have had disability. I was so challenged by that. And I'm so challenged here now because Shamga is looking at us and he's screaming at us and saying, do not look at me. Look at God who can use anyone for his glory. Friends, as a, as a fellowship, let us ask God to open our eyes to spot the Shamgas among us. And let God enable us to support them for his glory. God delights in using nobodies. And so should we as a church. You see, being a servant of Jesus doesn't start with what can I bring to Jesus. It starts with the fact that I am already in Jesus. As long as we are in Jesus, God can use us for his glory. So the first thing we see there is that God serves through obscure people. Point one. Point two, God serves through obscure means. Through obscure means. Look at that verse again. After him was Shamga, the son of Anna, who killed 600 of the Philistines with an ox god. And he also served Israel. You see, in contrast to Shamga's mysterious background, the weapon Shamga uses to serve Israel is familiar to us. Shamga uses an ox god. What is an ox god? 
I look at Brother Rob there. I thought you were going to give me a definition there. What's an ox god? An ox god is a. You should know. You can write this down, brother. An ox god is a long pointed stick used to prod reluctant. <laughs> I like that. Reluctant, you can use this as too. Reluctant animals. Uh, you use that to prod. Yeah, we're not going to record that bit. So you, you, you use that to, re, to prod reluctant animals. Basically, when you're pulling them, the thing you're using to kind of jig them in, you know, so that they keep going, that's an ox god. It is really a farmer's tool. It's not used for killing people at all, let alone enemies. And what is even more amazing here is that Shamga kills 600 Philistines. Now, the Philistines are, you know, they are not like, you know, sort of runaway uh, people somewhere who are a bit weak or something like that. The Philistines are a formidable enemy who currently are occupying the southern Canaan. They have major strongholds in Ashdod, Ascalon, Ekron, Gath, and Gaza. They are skilled in iron smelting, and this gives them a superior technological advantage. They have arrived in the land of Canaan around the same time as God's people are also moving in. They are a formidable race of people. And later we'll meet one of the Philistines, Sisera, with his 900 iron chariots. Friends, the point I'm getting at is the people Shanga kills... This is not easy opposition. I, I mean, these are, these are the most formidable enemies he could ever find there. And he killed 600 of them with an ox god. We are, we are learning here that God does not just delight in using obscure people, but he delights also in not only in using obscure people, but also working through obscure means. Simple means. You see, this obscure Oscar has become a powerful instrument in the hand of Shamgar because God is ultimately the one wielding this weapon with astonishing power. Yes, Shamgar is working, but God is the one who is sovereign. Now, we dealt with that in the morning. God's sovereign power at work through Shamgar. We need to remember this because, especially in light of the current Bible study we are doing uh, on nine marks of a healthy church on Thursdays. And last Thursday we discussed expository preaching. I was encouraged by the words of Paul who says, and Brother uh, Michael read this for us, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Preaching, of course, is not the only ox god, so to speak, that God uses. Everyone has an ox god. An ox god is that thing God has given you, that simple thing that he has given you. It's there, you, you know, it's just, you don't even think about it. And he's able to use that to do damage in the enemy's territory. What is your ox god? Is it your house? Your house perhaps can host a Bible study with friends and neighbors. That may be your ox god. What's your ox god? Is it your time? Perhaps God has given you an abundance of time. You can use that to just dedicate every week to pray seriously for the life of the church. And be serious about that. 
Yes, you can get out there and give flowers, but you can pray. That may be your ox God. Is it a good command? I like this. Is it a good command of the English language? Do you have that? A good command of the English language? If it is, it's your ox God. Because you see, you can host classes in this church to teach people who don't even speak English. And through that, you can reach them for the gospel. I mean, the point is, these are just your examples, plenty of examples of your Oscars. In your cupboard, you've got loads of them in your garden, elsewhere, whatever, you know, God has placed these Oscars in your life. You've got them. And, you know, ask the Lord and say, Lord, you know, what is my Oscar? Something simple, something God has given you that you can use for his kingdom. But here is what you need to remember. God has called you by name. He knows everything about you. He watches your every move. He knows you so well, he can tell what you're going to say next, even before you say it. When you need someone to lead you, he's ahead of you. When you need someone to protect your back, God is there protecting you. He's right behind you. In fact, God loves you so much that he can't get enough of you. He thinks about you every second, every moment. He loves you. You are his. He saved you by his own precious blood. He can't get enough of you. He can't bless you enough. And he can't let his light shine on you enough. He loves you that much. He thinks about you every single moment. And he's there with you right now. The question is, do you believe that? This is at this point you should say, yeah, yeah, of course, of course we believe that. But Nick was here, say, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, of course we do. But if we really believe that, then there's no excuse. What is your excuse for not handing over your ox god to God? If you believe all of that, what's stopping you from surrendering to him and allowing him to use your ox god? Listen, the lesson of judges is that God never calls anyone and then abandons them by the roadside. So you have nothing to fear. Let God use your ox God. I want to earnestly plead with you not to focus on the size of the job. Focus on the size of your God. And what are we learning from Jonah? That we serve the unstoppable God. Well, if that's the God we're serving, then let us give him all our ox gods and let him use them for his own glory. Why? Because God serves us, point one, through obscure people. I raise my hand, obscure. And through obscure means. I raise my hand too because I don't have many resources, but God is saying he can use me with whatever ox God I've got. Here's the third point. God serves us ultimately through the obscurity of Jesus Christ. The question we are asking here is, why is Shamga in our Bibles? He is not here fundamentally as an example to us, but as a signpost for us pointing to Jesus Christ. 
the most obscure savior of all. You see, Jesus, like Shamgar, comes to us alone and obscure. Look, look, verse 31 says there, just point, look at that again. It says, After him was Shamgar, the son of Anath, who killed 600 of the Philistines with a nook's coat. What did Shamgar do? He also served Israel. And Jesus comes as a savior like Shamgar. He comes to us alone and obscure. You see, when Jesus starts his ministry, people immediately notice he's not coming from a very well, you know, <laughs> he's, not, he's not coming from Kensington and Chelsea or, you know, one of those, you know, Hampstead somewhere. That, people, people immediately notice that. Nathaniel expresses this powerfully. You know, if Nathaniel asked and says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? That's equivalent of saying, can anything good really, uh, you know, come out of Housden? I'll use Housden because Rashid isn't here. Can anything good come out of Housden? Or Plumstead? Are we getting this Plumstead? Can anything good come out of Plumstead? Hopefully no one is from Plumstead. But can anything good come out of Plumstead? But yes, something good can come. Because you see, Jesus comes as a Nazarene, scorned, derided, and despised. And no other passages powerfully expresses the humbleness and obscurity of Jesus than Philippians 2, verse 5 to 8. Look with me just that passage that Brother Michael read for us. Philippians 2, verse 5 to 8, it says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant or slave, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Paul is telling us here that our dear Lord and Savior Jesus Christ always existed as the eternal Son of God. In the very form and substance of God, Jesus is God through and through. And yet, Jesus did not choose to grasp that equality with God. In other words, Jesus did not choose to clutch to the privileged position, the rights and prerogatives that is for equality with God gave him. Instead, our Lord Jesus, out of the abundance of his incredible love for you and I, out of his amazing grace, decided to empty himself out, to pour out himself, not to, you know, to, to take on this form of a servant or slave. He's not ceasing to be God. What Jesus does is what we call divine mathematics. Jesus becomes less by adding more to his nature. He who is fully God now adds on his humanity. Jesus is almost like an expensive car now that is fully covered in man. The substance of the car doesn't change, but when you look at that car, what do you see? You just see the man. And that's what Jesus does. In his divinity, he has on this external humanity to him, so to speak, that now veils his full divinity. And Jesus does that. Why does he do it? To die for you and I. 
he veils his divinity so that he can die as a man, fully man, for you on the cross. Fully God and fully man. And not only any old death, how does Jesus die? Paul tells us, by becoming obedient to the point of death, and then he has this, even death on the cross. Friends, only nobodies die on the cross. A Jewish historian, Josephus, refers to the cross as the most wretched of deaths. Roman philosopher Cicero describes death on the cross as the most cruel and shameful of all punishments, incapable of description by any word, for there is nothing fit to describe it. Let it never come near the body of a Roman citizen. No, not even near his thought or eyes or ears. The crucifixion is for nobodies. So Jesus, like Shamga, has saved us out of his obscurity. Through the lowly means of the cross, he has defeated the spiritual Philistines, so to speak, of sin, death, and hell for you and I. Out of his poverty, he has made us rich in grace. Jesus is our everlasting shelter. This is important. Because this means that if we're going to talk about let us become a shamga, that's not the place to start. The place to start is to take on and really understand the depth of the condescension that is in Christ. You see, until you understand what Jesus has really done on the cross, this emptying out, this becoming a shamga, if you like, is shamganess, as I would put it, becoming like shamga you will not fully know what it really means to become a shamga yourself. Jesus is a template for how we serve God and is also the motivation on why we do it. So actually, the challenge I want to leave with you this week is simply this. The application, only one application this week. Take out of Philippians 2, chapter, uh, chapter 2, Verse 5 to 8. Meditate on it and take this passage in. Just think about it this week. Think about what Jesus has accomplished. Becoming so obscure for you. Don't ask God just yet. Don't ask God just yet to show you it is ox God. Or to, 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 to you know, go ahead there and become a shamgar. No. First, take in this passage. Meditate on it. Let what Jesus has done really sink in deep. And when that has happened, you cry out to God and you'll be looking through your spiritual cupboards and they're all over the place and you'll be coming to God and asking him to now use your ox cards. The reason you are currently not using your ox card is that you do not understand and haven't fully taken on board what has happened in Philippians 2, verse 5 to verse 8. So one application only today. Read Philippians 2, verse 5 to 8. Trust me, you are not being shortchanged. That will transform you. Because out of that, you will get a full, deeper understanding of that. And that's the same application for us as a church. We need to come to terms with what Christ 
has done for us. So God help us all as we fully embrace the obscurity that is found in our everlasting Shamga, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.